We are in our series called Living in a Hostile Environment. We're in the New Testament book of 1 Peter, that great apostle of Jesus who started the church in Jerusalem, started the, opened the gates of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles over at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 in Caesarea, and now he is uh, dictating and penning a letter through another great church leader named Silas uh, to a New Testament church of people who are living in modern-day Turkey, this group of Christians that uh, Peter calls them sojourners, aliens in this world, but he also says that even though you may think you're nobody in your own society, in God's eyes, you have great value and worth. You are a chosen people. You're a holy nation. You're a people set apart unto God to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And that makes you a somebody in Jesus Christ. That's something that we can celebrate today. Last week, we were talking about suffering and persecution for being a Christian. And of course, we've been praying the last couple of weeks for our brothers and sisters in Christ. However many thousands of them are left in the nation of Afghanistan, I would not be surprised if many of them lost their lives in the last few weeks, uh, but who are now celebrating their great reward in heaven for enduring persecution and being faithful unto death and now receiving the crown of life from Jesus Christ. Thank you, Azula was praying, that we live in a nation where we have the freedom to worship and to gather and assemble and, and celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that certainly is not true in many places around the world. In our society today, it's not easy uh, as perhaps it was in past generations to be a follower of Christ. Peter says these words, so then those who suffer according to God's will... In other words, God allows us to suffer persecution. He permits it for his own purposes. And by the way, it, the people that have trouble with, with the idea of God allowing persecution are the people that are probably thinking that this life on earth is really the only life that there is. When God says, no, this life on earth is a prelude. This life on earth is a testing ground, a trial, and a temporary assignment before our real life the way Paul the Apostle describes it, is going to be waiting for us in heaven. But for the moment, temporarily, he says those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So no matter what they throw at us against the Christian faith and against the Jesus whom we follow, we are to remain faithful and we're to commit our lives to him and continue doing good. You know, I, I was thinking about this this morning. In past generations, you know, we were the favored ones in our society. Uh, the vast majority of people in America were Christ followers. Maybe some of them were casual Christians. Maybe some of them were committed Christians. But it was, a, you were part of the privileged class in generations past to call yourself a Christian. And now that's just not true anymore in America. It used to be, even when I was young, that we Christians, maybe we were thought a little bit strange, a little weird, a little peculiar. Our values were not quite the same as their values, but in some ways they knew that we were committed to God, to following Him, and in some ways they kind of respected us. Well, I don't think it's that way so much anymore. We're not as tolerated as we used to be. We're not even admired 
No longer, I, I think a lot of people look at Christians today, even in our own society, and they're, they're passive-aggressive toward us. They're perhaps even openly hostile toward those who follow Jesus, those, especially those who follow Jesus and uphold standards of sanctified holy behavior. That's not going to be popular in this society today. And so I think in this verse, Peter's telling us through the Spirit of God, says, represent your King Jesus to the world. And if you have to suffer, be willing to endure it and commit yourself to God and don't stop. Keep on doing good. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lisa, and the rest of you. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I married her, so she'd say amen when I need her to. Um, today in First Peter, we come to a passage in leadership. This is a passage written to Christian leadership. This is a passage written to the elders of those local churches. And it's really interesting because I, I want to talk about leadership in the Christian community in this message today. I want to ask three basic questions. They're all sort of related to each other, but what is a leader to God? What is a good leader in God's sight? And what is a Christian leader? Somebody who has Jesus as their Lord. What kind of leadership does that person who has Jesus as Lord of their life and is governing their actions, what kind of leadership do they provide the local church? And so let's begin here in 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have your own Bible, then follow along. If you uh, don't, you can always look on the screen. Peter says these words to the church. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. You know, that word elder is the word what we would translate in English as presbyter or uh, somebody who is older. And so a lot of people think that, wow, I guess to be an elder in the church, you've got to be old. Well, what is old to you? Most people say, well, old, is, old to me is somebody who's at least 15 years older than I am. I mean, unless you're 90 and then you're like, well, I, you know, if somebody's my age, they're already old. Uh, but anyway, uh, to be older was, in, especially in the first century society, that was, uh, if you made it to be older in the first century, you had respect and you were given positions of honor and authority. They gave those positions of leadership to wise older men, both in the Jewish and in the Greek community. And here, the word elder, I think the elder denotes a measure of Christian maturity. It's possible to be 30 years old and to be a good elder in a local church. How do I know that? Well, he's not here today. He's probably here next hour, but Troy Tisthammer uh, was an elder in our church at one time, and he provided good Christian leadership, though he is not old of age, right? It's not about how many days you've lived on this earth. It's about how the Word of God has gotten into your life and transformed you and you are now acting like Jesus. And those who act and think and speak the most like Jesus should probably be in leadership positions in the church. The word elder here, it can refer to a pastor, a church leader, presiding elder in a local church community. Now, Paul talks about being an elder. And Paul talks about being an elder as being a noble aspiration. He says to Timothy, he says, whoever desires to be an elder desires a noble task. 
If somebody wants to be an elder, that's actually a good ambition to have. There's actually such a thing as godly ambition. You know, some people think, oh, if I'm ambitious about something, that's just worldliness. I want to get into the position of leader. Now, I do remember Rick Warren telling a story about somebody who came to his, uh, their church in Saddleback early on, and the person uh, said, tell me about your leadership structure. He hadn't, he hadn't even joined the church yet. He just sort of had been attending a few times, came up to Pastor Rick, and he said, hey, I want to know about your leadership structure. And Rick says, oh, okay, I'll tell you, but why, why do you want to know? I, haven't you just started attending? He says, yeah, but I want to know, you know, what is the top leadership position of the church? And he says, well, we have an elder board, and I'm, we have a chairman of the elders. And he says, that's what I want. I want to be chairman of the elders. How do I do that? And Rick says, you're probably not ever going to be chairman of the elder of this church because I can tell right now you don't have the right attitude for it. You want to be in a position, you think it's a position of power and authority and you can, have, you can govern everybody and tell everybody what to do. That's not what being a Christian leader is about. It's a noble task, but it is a position of service. It is a position that requires great, humble Christian character to be a good elder. It is good to want to be a spiritual leader in the church, but you've got to understand that God says, if I'm going to make you a leader in my, in my church where Jesus is the head and you're an under-shepherd under his authority, he says, you're going to have to practice humility. The standards for being an elder in the church are high, and the standards are high because the spiritual expectations for serving as an elder are high. Most of the qualifications for being an elder in the church is, if you read the New Testament, they are character qualifications. It's not just somebody who has a powerful, booming voice, and I'm going to tell everybody the way it is. You know, that's not, that you don't see a powerful, booming voice. Uh, the, the guy I'd trade voices with in a heartbeat would be Dan Swedenberg, right? Because he's got one of those great, powerful voices where when he speaks, people listen, right? And I get a... I get a voice, a squeaky higher voice, and I'm like, Lord, I, want, I, I, have, a, I have a voice for television, or like a face for radio, one of the two. Anyway, uh, when you see the character qualifications, what does it take to be an elder, a, a spiritual leader in God's church under the authority of Jesus? I mean, you, you may not even be able to read all these, but there are 18 character qualifications there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And also in uh, the, the book of Titus, where, Ty, where Paul was writing to his buddy Titus there on the island of Crete. And he says, I want you to stay on the island, and I want you to appoint elders in every church. And by the way, here's who you should be looking for. Here's the character quality you should be looking for if you're looking for a good elder. Someone who's above reproach. Someone who's faithful to his wife. In other words, there's no polygamy being practiced. There's no promiscuity for a Christian leader. You're faithful to your spouse. Somebody who's temperate, self-controlled, respectable. By the way, temperate doesn't mean that you don't sweat easily. I mean, it's a different, different kind of a meaning. Respectable, somebody who is hospitable, able to teach. Doesn't mean that they have the gift, spiritual gift of teaching, but they're able to communicate the truth of God's word. Not given to drunkenness, not violent. I think one of the translations of that was pugnacious. Not pugnacious, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not a recent convert. I, Paul tells Timothy, don't, don't make a recent convert an elder because the devil will get a hold of that and they will fill them with pride. 
Uh, they haven't learned to walk in humility yet as a Christian. So not a recent convert. Somebody who has a good reputation with outsiders. Someone who's not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. You know, when you tip the pitcher and you find out what's inside. You know, how quickly does it take for somebody to get upset or angry? How much self-control can they practice? That's a fruit of the Spirit. Someone who's not violent or not pursuing dishonest gain. Wow, that's quite a list. I, I went down that list and I said, well, I know Jesus qualifies for that. Is there anybody else on earth who does? Uh, it, it, nobody lives that fully, uh, all those character qualities all the time. But somebody you're looking for is somebody who's consistently practicing these kind of character traits, right? He, uh, Paul says he must hold firmly to the gospel message so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and he can refute those who oppose it, somebody who opposes the Gospels. Good elders lead with their good character traits. Good elders lead by example. And so Peter begins this passage, and he says, I'm speaking to you elders as a fellow elder. Peter identifies himself as an elder, even though when he begins the letter, he says, Peter, an apostle of Christ. He's saying that he is also a shepherd in the church of Jesus. He's actually sort of humbling himself and putting himself on the same level as these local church, level, uh, local church elders. G Peter saw Jesus' ministry firsthand as one of the 12 apostles, as one of the members of Jesus' inner circle with Peter and James and John, someone who, who saw the death of Christ, who saw the resurrected Christ, who saw Jesus' glory being revealed. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John up on that mountain and saw Jesus transfigured into clothes that were dazzling white as the sun. Uh, Peter was a witness of all that. And yet Peter says, I am a fellow elder. I think Peter is actually not just condescending to their level. I think Peter is elevating their status in their ministry in the, ch in the local church. And so here's what Peter's exhortation is. You say, okay, what is a good Christian leader? Verse 2 is about one of the greatest descriptions of what it means to be a good Christian leader in God's church. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. That is under your care. You have a responsibility delegated to you. You are a manager, a steward under the authority of Christ to be a leader in the local church. Uh, be a shepherd of God's flock, watching over them, not because you must, you, you weren't, you know, arm-twisted into the position. You're willing to serve. You're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, eager to serve. And so there's this general exhortation. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. You know, throughout the Bible, the Bible, of course, was written thousands of years ago, the last book that we have that is part of the, the canon of Scripture would be the book of Revelation. That was completed by the end of the first century. So a long time. And in, back in those days, the agrarian community was the main community of, of all the cultures in the world. And so it was an easy illustration. The relationship of leaders to their charges was described metaphorically as a shepherd-to-flock relationship. And it's rooted in God himself because probably one of the scriptures you know the best, Psalm 23. What does it say? The Lord is my... It doesn't say CEO, does it? The Lord is my CEO. No, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. And the shepherd takes good care of his sheep, 
right? Shepherd-flock relationship rooted in God's being a shepherd to his own people. One of the ways you can tell how to be a good leader is to also see examples of how to be a bad leader. And in the Old Testament, in the prophet Jeremiah and in the prophet Ezekiel, there are two passages where God is speaking through his prophet and he's saying to the leaders of that day, you guys are being bad shepherds to my people. You are not acting the way that I want you to act as God's appointed leaders. In fact, Jeremiah says this. He says, to the leaders of his day exercising bad leadership, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, the answer, God's answer to that, his his consequences is, I will punish you for what you've done. I will punish you, and he says, I, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 23. You go on down to the prophet Ezekiel, and he described a similar situation. Ezekiel describes bad leadership in even greater detail. He says, woe to you shepherds of Israel. What, the, what makes a bad leader? who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals. You know, you get all the benefits of being a leader in the, in the Jewish community there. You get all of those benefits, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays. I mean, isn't that one of the greatest things where Jesus said, what does the good shepherd do? 100 sheep that he has in his fold, 99 of them are staying where they're supposed to stay, which is probably like for the next five minutes. They're staying where they're supposed to be, and one sheep goes astray. So what does the good shepherd do? He goes after the lost sheep. until Keep searching until he finds it, brings it back, and says, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And that's what makes a bad shepherd. Harsh, brutal rule, not a, not a kind example rule. There's two bad examples here, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You don't want to be like these shepherds. Don't be like them. So what does it mean to be a good shepherd? To, quote, watch over God's flock. Peter describes a few examples. He describes in, in a little bit of detail. He says, a good shepherd, a good leader, elder, is one who is taking care of God's flock. One who's leading out of an eagerness to serve, not an eagerness to command, not an eagerness to be the boss, but an eagerness to say, God, where do you want us to go as a Christian community? And Lord, if you speak to us and you lead us and guide us, we will follow you and then we will communicate to the rest of God's people, this is the way, God, that he's leading us. Follow us as we follow Christ. So there, there's an eagerness to serve, but there's an eagerness to say, I, I'm following Jesus, and I want you to come along this journey with me. They're concerned for what they can give, not for what they can get. It's a, it is a privilege to serve. It's a noble task, but we are to be givers and not takers in this position of Christian leadership. And ultimately, we're leading by example. You're leading by your example. They say it over and over, you know. Um, Hebrews 13, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at their example. Look at the way they've lived. And then it says, and imitate 
their faith. Follow a good example of a godly leader, of a godly elder. So here's the definition of what elders are to do. Elders are to provide spiritual direction, supervision, instruction, and direction for the believers in a local church. Pretty simple. You're to provide spiritual protection, guard yourself. Remember Paul, when he tells the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he says, hey, after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in and they're going to attack the flock with false teaching, false doctrine. There's going to be false apostles. There are going to be people claiming to be Christian, but they're going to be speaking with the voice of the enemy, not with the voice of Christ. And you need to recognize that. Elders, you need to have good discernment so that you can protect the flock from false gospels and ideas that come in to mar and distort the Christian faith. Uh, provide protection, provide supervision, instruction, direction for a local congregation. Look what good leadership does in 1 Peter verse 3. In 1 Peter verse 3, it says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Not lording it over. I'm the boss and you have to do what I say. You know, by the way, if you have to actually say that, uh, you probably lost some of your authority right there. You have to follow me because I'm the boss and I'm the elder and God made me the elder and you have to do what I say. So just sit down and shut up and do what I tell you to do. If somebody is acting that way, they probably in, in a big way lost their spiritual authority if they have to shout it. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So good leaders in the church, they're caring for the flock they're leading out of their eagerness to serve. They're concerned for what they give, not for what they get. And they're leading by examples. Um, Peter, in, in this passage, he, he has this passage. It was the slide you had up there before. It says what not to be and what to be uh, when you're going to be a good elder in the church. Good elders are not to be because you must. Oh, I, I, I got arm twisted into this. Nobody else was willing to serve, so... You know, they, they came to me and they said, you do it. Well, I don't want to do it, but nobody else will do it, so I'm going to do it. That's not a good way to, to select an elder in the church. You don't back into the eldership. You, it says somebody desires to be an elder. It's a noble task. The qualifications are high, but the task is noble. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Not to be greedy for money. You're not in it for the money. And the reason I think Paul says that is because Paul was talking to Timothy in his first letter, and he talked about this elder that was elders, certain elders who were gifted at preaching and teaching. And he says, such elders who are exercising their gift, they're directing the affairs of the church, they're worthy of double honor, 1 Timothy 5.17, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And so in these particular elders, these were ones whose God has given the gift of teaching and preaching the church to the church, and those elders are worthy of double honor. But even if they are getting paid for the position, they're not in it for the money. They're not greedy for money. They're eager to serve. They're not there to lord it over. They're there to be an example to the flock. It ought to be done with the proper motive to lead in the church, personal willingness not because of compulsion, should be eager, not reluctant to serve. Some of those elders who ministered by preaching and teaching, they got paid. They got paid to do it, but the motive would not to be greedy for money. And finally, finally, Paul exhorts the elders to lead by their example, not to lead by authoritatively trying to dominate their churches. 
I, I mentioned that passage to you in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. We are to reflect. When you look at a good Christian leader, and I know if you guys have been in the church at all for any period of time, you have seen certain people who you know walk with the Lord. They walk with Jesus. They're praying every day. They are reading their Bibles. They are being governed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ has given them freedom and set them free. They're not a slave like, like we were singing in that song. They're not a slave to fear, anxiety, worry, addictions that cripple them. They're not governed by those things. Christ has set them free. As he said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. And then they'll know the truth. The truth will set them free. They've been set free by Christ. They're walking in that freedom and they're, and they're exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. If you see somebody like that, there is a good example of somebody to follow. That's why he says, lead by your own example. And here's the promise. I mean, th this, is, this is the awesome promise. And when the chief shepherd appears, so you say, wow, it sounds, by the way, let me back it up. It sounds pretty hard to be an elder. The qualifications are like right up here spiritually. High character, high standards for being an elder in a local church. But those who do take on that task, those who do serve willingly, those who provide a living example to the flock, who are not trying to whip the flock from the back. Wow, I can't do that. That's better. Okay. You ever heard that? There was, there was some sitcom where they, they were trying to decide which was the better whip sound. Was it or was it? You know, which, which one do you think was better? <laughs> but, but the point is, a good elder is not somebody who's whipping somebody from behind saying, get moving, get moving, people. No, it's somebody out in front who is saying, this is the way the Lord is leading us. Let's follow Jesus. Let's reach our community. Let's be on mission with Christ and be a light and salt to our community. Let's do this. And because of their example, because of their, their wisdom and their excitedness, you want to follow somebody like that. You're not being pushed from behind. You're being led and pulled from the front. And Jesus says, and when the chief shepherd appears, when he, the chief shepherd, the one who knows what it is like to be the good shepherd, says, I am proud of you for serving, for following me, for being humble in your leadership and in your service. And because you've been faithful, he says, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, here's a question. For those of you who've never been in elders, but maybe you say, hey, someday, maybe I, I could possibly become an elder. What should your, oh, let me, yeah, so your attitude should be, Lord, I want to keep aspiring. When I see that list of character traits, I want to keep developing those character traits so that I can be consistent in those, so that I can qualify to be an elder in the church. Now, here's from the flip side. What if you're not an elder, and maybe you're not going to be an elder, but you're a member of the congregation, what should your attitude be toward those who are already elders? I mean, isn't that a fair question? So we've talked about elders and their role in leadership. What should be the role of the followership? You know, because uh, obviously in Christendom, to be a good leader, you have to first learn to be a good follower. So what should be your attitude toward the elders? Uh, Peter says this in verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, 
uh, and perhaps younger in the faith, perhaps uh, younger males or females. I don't think it's just talking about younger men only, but, but people who are younger in the faith, the rest of the congregation, what should your attitude? Submit yourselves to your elders. And all of you, now everybody in the congregation, whether you're young and maybe aspiring to be an elder or you're a member of God's church, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You know what God really emphasizes in Scripture? God repeats. And I've, I know, if you've read your Bible like me, you know you're saying, wow, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It can't be the only place I've read that in the Scripture. I know at least two other places. One of them is in the Proverbs, and one of them is in the book of James, where he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to those who are humble. So we are to humbly accept the authority of the elders. We are to remember that God has appointed them to lead the church so they can serve and shepherd his flock. So we're to live in line. We're to live by submitting to the authority of the elders and, and to the elders' directions. Submission does not mean subservience. Submission means that we are voluntarily choosing to live under God's appointed authority, right? It says it does mean to live orderly under the leadership of the elders. Now, what's the problem in many churches today? <laughs> Jim, I didn't know you'd go there. I'm going there. Okay, what, what, what's the problem in many churches today? Well, the problem in many churches today are there the millennials, those who are 40 and under, about to age 24, and Generation Z, who is the next wave of generations of Americans who are 24 and under, those two generations have been leaving the church in droves in the last 20 years. The church has dropped one-third. Even during COVID, the church has dropped one-third in attendance. And the vast majority of those who have left the church in the last two decades are millennials and Generation Zs. And one of the reasons I think that that is true is because they're the younger people, they're seeing the church in the way it is, and they're seeing the church follow the traditions of what was a, what was a, a happening, relevant, culturally um, in-tune church that was, that was active 20, 25 years ago. Only what we're still acting the way that was a happening church 25 years ago, we're still acting that way today. And the millennials and Gen Z says, yeah, but the acting the way that you acted that was relevant 25 years ago, it's not relevant today. And it's not reaching the generations today. And so millennials, they, they're, they're, here's the other thing. The millennials that are Christians, they're not getting an opportunity to lead. The people who are in leadership in these local churches, they're typically baby boomers and, and, and elders, and they're hanging on to those positions of leadership, and they're basically telling the millennials, hey, you know, we see some promise in you guys. We think you can be leaders someday in this local church, but for right now, you know, you just need to sit in the pews and, and hang out and let us do the leadership because we've been leading this church for decades. Well, millennials are not likely to put up with that. For very long. These millennials, they, they want an opportunity to leave. They want a seat at the leadership table in local churches. 
And many of them, they're not new converts to the Christian faith. Some of them grew up in the church. Troy Tisthammer probably cut his teeth on these wooden pews when he was crawling around as a baby. Like people like that. They have leadership experience. They have leadership experience in their workplace. They have leadership experience in their community. They have mature faith in Christ-like character, but sadly, the older people in a lot of churches, they will not let them into positions of authority. And I'm not talking about children and youth ministry. I'm talking about uh, uh, having a real seat at the executive table where they're making real decisions about the future and the ministry and the directions of, this, of these local churches. They have ideas, they have innovation, they have creativity, and we need to listen to their voices. And that's one way we can recapture a church that it could be truly multi-generational, truly relevant, not just to us, boomers and those who are older, but to those who are millennials and Gen Z and younger adults today. We can be a relevant church for them as well, but we need to give some of those godly Christ-like character millennial leaders a seat at our leadership tables. I could ask for an amen, Lisa. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> In the same way, so what we've learned before, if, if we're honest, it, and I'll speak for myself, I've been uh, in positions of leadership in the local church. I've been an elder where I wasn't on staff, but I was an elder in a local church. I've, I've been in other leadership positions in the church. I know what it's like to be on the other side. I know what it's like when you, when you see what the leadership of the church is doing. And some of it you might agree with, and some of it you might not agree with. So I, I'm just saying that I, I'm not always, I've not always been the pastor of the local church. And when I say that, I'll say, I'll say these words. If we're honest, each one of us has had an issue at some point in our lives with leadership and authority. Maybe it was in the local church. Maybe it was in your workplace. Uh, how many of you have ever had a boss that you thought didn't always make very good decisions? Come on now, somebody be honest out there, right? So what do you do in, the, in, in those moments, right? It's, I get it. You might have education and experience. You might be walking with Jesus more than they are in some cases. You may think you know better than God's appointed leaders of that local church. I get it. And in our American culture, we celebrate that. We live in this culture of do-it-yourselfers and mavericks. And the idea to be led spiritually by anyone sounds foreign. What do you mean led by somebody else? I'll follow Jesus, but I don't know about these human people. No, uh, it, that sounds foreign and suspicious to a lot of people. The pendulum that swings far away from respecting leadership and authority, that, that pendulum that swings away from respect for local leaders and authorities, it's not likely to be a healthier, uh, more Christ-like church at all. It's, it's actually like to be, likely to be more chaotic. And I've seen churches made up primarily of young adults. And sometimes they start squabbling with each other as to the leadership direction of the church. I saw a beautiful church of 800 people within five years go to zero because the, they didn't have enough mature Christian leaders to lead that church and to keep it going in unity. So 
We all have to operate under the same banner. Leaders in the church are to lead by example. Followers are to respect the, leader, the, the authority of the leadership that God appointed for their local church. All of us toward each other. It says, Peter says this, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And there's the beautiful promise, because when we all act that way, when we act in humility toward each other, not out of pride, not out of anger, not out of resentment, not out of I know better than you, and if you only did it my way, we'd be in a better position than we are right now. You know, not, not that kind of armchair quarterback, hindsight 2020. I, I've seen that play out a dozen times as well. It says, but here's the thing, clothe yourselves, put this humility on act that way toward one another. And when we do that, the church, the dress of the church becomes beautiful. When humble, able spiritual leadership is present, where leaders are leading by example, following their lead is not too difficult at all, right? When everyone in the church is clothed with humility, the church dress is beautiful. It's beautiful. Paul directs this passage toward leadership in local churches. Now, what about you? What if, what if you're in a position of leadership, but you're not an elder? You know, you, every single person who is a mature Christ follower, you're going to have some position of authority and influence somewhere in your life, right? You can apply this passage on Christian leadership anytime. Check, check it out. Check this out. Anytime you're helping another person grow in their faith, when you're helping somebody grow in their Christian faith, you're exhibiting Christian leadership. When you're the mother or father of small children, and you're like we just saw with our kids and grandkids, and you're teaching your children how to pray, how to follow Christ, how to respect authority, boy, isn't that so needed among our young, young people today? Uh, you're exhibiting Christian leadership. If you're in a Bible study, if you're a teacher or a teacher of a, a leader of a life group and you spend time with somebody in your group to help them to understand God's word and how to apply that word to their lives, you're exhibiting Christian leadership. If you're visiting with a struggling brother or sister in the church, remember James says if somebody is straying away from the fold, or maybe 1 John, if somebody is walked away from the faith or straying away from the faith and you go after that person and you sit there and listen with them and pray with them and help bring them back, it says you are doing a tremendous service in the kingdom of God. You're extending the pastoral ministry of the church even if you don't have the title of pastor. So there's tremendous opportunity for leadership of, for everybody in this church. Good elders, let me just close with this. Good elders serve in a temporary office, right? In our church bylaws, you can serve four years, four years in a row as an elder, and then you have to roll off for the next year as elder. That's so we won't have this permanent number of elders, and it never changes. It is, a, it is an office of service. And the point of being an, an under-shepherd in the local church to help others in the church become better Christ followers. You do that and, you're be, and you are acting like a great local church elder. Because when it's all said and done, and talking to the, those who are elders or those who perhaps want to be elders, when it's all said and done, friends, your life example will be far more influential and lasting than any church office or position that you ever held. Your living example is what they're going to remember. 
Remember, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Because friends, after all, we learn far more from what is caught than what is taught. Jesus is our good shepherd, friends. First Peter, you back it up to chapter 2 at the end, it says, Peter says this, Once you were wandering away like lost sheep, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. The Bible has a favorite term for people. <laughs> Some of us don't like the term, but it's from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. The, one of the favorite terms that the Bible has for people is God calls us sheep. Why does he call us sheep? Because we have a tendency to wander we tend to wander away from God. We tend to go our own way. And when we go our own way, we tend to get lost. And Jesus said that he came to seek and to save those who are lost. I think one of the tremendous things that God gives you a revelation for before you become a full-on follower of Christ is he, he, he points out the fact that you are lost and you need to be found. He reminds you that you are a sinner and you are in need of a Savior. And Jesus can save you to the uttermost if you will turn toward Him in humble faith. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to make that decision today? And if you're watching online, as you've heard this message and you realize Christian leaders, ultimately, we're just following the example of our leader, King Jesus, who showed us how to live. Following Jesus, it's the best way to live. It's the only way to die. Have you bowed your knee to the authority of the great shepherd Jesus? Will you do that today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we come to you recognizing that in your eyes we are like sheep. And Lord, we don't want to be like those sheep that keep going astray. We want to keep turning around and turning back to you in repentance and in humble faith and acknowledging that you are our shepherd, you are our savior, you are the one who brings us in to a right relationship with God. And so today, Lord Jesus, we put our trust in you. We invite you to come into our hearts. Show us where we're living in the wrong way. Show us where we need to make changes. Show us where we're doing right and affirm us in that direction. But Lord, be our shepherd and we will be your followers for the rest of the days of our lives. Lord, bring us ultimately into your heavenly kingdom in paradise. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.